0: Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Sports. That's Indeed.com slash Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light.
1: get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden,
2: Colorado. And again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center!
1: Perry! Scoot!
2: Corey Perry! Well, you able to shake away from Solani
1: It's away to this-
2: All right, we're back with another edition of the For Everybody postgame show. This one's not as uh, exciting as the last five. Uh, Well, actually, we missed one against Washington, so the Uh, last four. Um, But the Ducks come out in this one, drop the game 4-1 to the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, not a spectacular game to watch. Uh, I didn't even watch all of it, so I can't even <laughs> say. I can fully say that it wasn't, at least what I saw, wasn't that spectacular to watch. But uh, a disappointing effort and kind of a, a crappy end to their five-game winning streak.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, a lucky five-game winning streak. And uh, to, to one extent, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of... A, what is that, uh, you know, karma. It's just that the way that they ended up winning against Carolina about a week ago, um, it, it could have almost played out that same way tonight, but didn't quite go that way. Um, and so it's almost like Carolina deserved to win last week, ended up winning this week. But uh, there are a lot of similarities, at least early on in this game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, kind of a new, unique one. And it's, it's kind of what you expect when you go against the Hurricanes is you're going to get. Heavily outshot, usually the Hurricanes, the way they play is they will take shots from pretty much everywhere, and uh, we kind of saw that in this one. But just to get hit on some pregame notes before we get into our breakdown, Ricard Raquel was out of this game with a tweaked ankle. Hopefully it's not too long. What I guess they're saying is day-to-day, but they're kind of being a little bit vague about it. Some reports said he was in a walking boot and there was uh, Instagram pictures that popped up on, on Hampus Lindholm's Instagram where he wasn't wearing a walking boot and he looked like he was (laughs) fine. So, I mean, I, at this point we have no idea really how long he's going to be out. I don't think it's going to be too long. I I think they said he was kind of a game time decision today as well. So I don't think he's going to be out of the lineup for too long.
1: Yeah. I mean, even though he hasn't necessarily been uh, hitting the numbers he's used to hitting, um, He's a dynamic player, and that's that's someone, if you don't have him in the lineup, it's hard to replace it, so it's uh, someone we hope can get back soon. It's kind of a freak play that ended up having uh, against Chicago where he just kind of yeah. got rolled over on it, and so that, that that can go one of two ways. It can literally be a, a tweak that takes a while, and that's what Carlisle said. He he tweaked it, and when I hear the word tweak versus, oh, he sprained it, I think it's it's kind of a minor thing where he just doesn't want to overdo it maybe in a game. So I, I'm more optimistic, like you said, the uh, report where it might be day-to-day, game-time decision. So I'm more optimistic he's coming back.
2: Yeah, it, it seems like it's less severe when they use the word tweak, um, and I mm-hmm. guess that's kind of what we hope for. But because Ricardo Raquel was out of the lineup, Daniel Sprong jumps up to the first line with Getzlaff and Pontus Aberg. Andre Kasha gets promoted from the fourth line up to the line with Hen- Henrik and Nick Ritchie. So the line's looking a little bit more stable. Obviously, losing Ricardo Raquel kind of sucks, but when you can move these guys up the lineup, Daniel Sprong looked good in, in his first game, looked good in this one, and then obviously under cash, getting the goal on the fourth line. He's an easy, an easy fix to move up into the top six. Um, the Ducks obviously coming into this game with, a five, with five straight wins, while Carolina somehow in their last five games had just scored five goals. So it, it felt like it was primed. To be a game that the Ducks could could win, presumably mm-hmm. it felt like a winnable game. The next few games feel like winnable games, but um, when you sit back and you really analyze the Ducks' five-game winning streak, a lot of it was luck, and, and, and you know they had some ridiculous comebacks there where other teams mm-hmm. collapsed, and you know there is some credit in in obviously winning five games in a row, but it didn't feel like a normal five-game winning streak.
1: Yeah, exactly. As, as much as I I love to be the optimist and I, I usually am, I just haven't seen a Ducks team like this where I I'm less optimistic when they win. I <laughs> mean they win and usually I'm like, hey, this is something we can roll on. We can we can beat you know uh, go, go to the next game and just kind of build upon this. And it was just like, oh god, we won. Oh, awesome. All right, let's just hope we don't aren't that bad next game. Oh, we won. Oh. We looked out two games in our. I mean, it's just kind of built like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, we came back against Washington, but we were down 5 1. That's not a team that's uh, looking prime to uh, just, you know, make a breakout move here.
2: So, yeah, I mean, the Ducks, though, weren't the only team dealing with injuries going into this one. Uh, the Hurricanes are without two significant players in their lineup Jordan Stahl and Michael Ferland. We're both out for this game. So again, it felt like this was a, an opportunity to take advantage of uh, finally another team maybe being in the same boat that the Ducks were in with some injuries. Um, normally, when you sit back and you look at Michael Furland on paper, if you didn't know how he was doing this year, it's, yeah, it's probably not a big loss, but he he's has 10 goals this year. Uh, he's just... Anytime he's on the ice, he's one of those guys like Tom Wilson, like Ryan Reeves, where you're you kind of got to know where he is, or he's going to catch you with a with a late hit. And uh, <laughs> he's one of the yeah, he's just one of the guys that you kind of got to know where he is at all times. So it, it's a tough loss for the Hurricanes to not have him in there. But I, I think Jordan Stahl uh, is a really tough one for them to not have, and he's arguably their best center. Uh, he's one of the leaders on that team. And uh, I think with Ferland and Stahl out of the lineup, that's kind of why the Hurricanes have only scored five goals in their last five games.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can, uh, like you alluded to earlier, I mean, the, the Carolina Hurricanes, they shoot a ton. And they, they've always been usually in the top three on shots on goal. And yet they're not a team that really kind of gets into the playoffs. Uh, uh, and that can be, that you know, those shot those high shot totals don't necessarily translate into goals. If there's no one in front screening a goalie, it's significantly harder if there's a big body or, you know, just anything happening in front. So you lose Furlander, that's kind of something he would do, and then you lose Stahl on top of it. That's kind of one of those other things that he does really well is he's just in the way a lot, and uh, so the fact that they're missing both of those is probably... Uh, a bigger indication why they're struggling all of a sudden to to get more goals in on net.
2: Yeah, and we'll get into the first period here because uh, I felt like now nah, now nah, I'm gonna sit here and try and explain it the best I can. Like I said, I didn't really I didn't really catch most of the first period, but. Uh, it, it was kind of a back and forth fair from when I went back and I watched it, especially early on. There's a couple solid shifts from Casha, Henrique, and Richie. Again, any any line that Cash is on, they're generally gonna get a couple solid shifts per game. And that's what we kind of saw early on. They're they're a little bit of an energy line, which is again what you're gonna expect from any line that Andre Cash is on. I a I guess a, a solid opening note for the Ducks. A couple noteworthy shifts. Nothing really amazing, very few mistakes. Uh, shots were only two to one at the five minute mark. So uh, obviously both teams kind of feeling their way out. Um, but it, it was just kind of a, a mixed bag, I guess, in, in the very first part of the first period, there really wasn't any team who took advantage early. There wasn't a lot of high danger scoring chances. It was both teams just trying to figure out what, uh, what kind of style that they're going to bring to the, to the game. Cause I think both teams are at different points they, than they were when they last met
1: yeah it's kind of unusual because you you would think like the ducks say hey, they're finally home and hey we're going to come out and just storm the castle and let's just build on this and carolina has been struggling for goals to be like hey you know this this team kind of stole one from us last time we played let's kind of get out there and let's you know start i mean every team wants to start off great and it's not that either team was bad it just It was just even and it just you know there's a lot of more neutral play the occasional shot the occasional oh they're holding it for a while but it was nothing that was you know one team was dominating it was just kind of a little back and forth and not a lot happening in the first five minutes
2: yeah not really and you put an interesting uh, quote here (laughs) in the uh in in the notes and how carolina looks like the ducks used to minus goaltending and yeah Yeah. i kind of get that um The Ducks used to be a team that put a lot of shots on net, and they played a very physical brand of hockey, which the the Hurricanes are trying to do. They're maybe not the best team set up for that. They're kind of, uh, as Hayward alluded to, like the misfits of the NHL, where they don't spend a ton of money. They're fairly young, uh, but they're still finding ways to win games, And, and that kind of reminds me of the Ducks a couple years ago. Um, but, yeah, like you said, they, they are really missing <laughs> the goaltending. I mean, they've gone through three goaltenders this year, and Scott Darling, Peter Mrazik, who started tonight, and Curtis McElhinney. And uh, nobody has been able to take the crease from them. And they, they're one of those teams, and I think Calgary's another one of those teams where the rest of the team is set up pretty well but the goaltending is the big issue, and they just can't seem to lock down a number one guy.
1: Yeah, they invested, uh, you know, Uh, money for sure and uh, kind of a little bit of their faith in Scott Darling coming in and kind of being that number one guy they thought uh, you know he he couldn't do much behind Corey Crawford in Chicago and deserved a good chance a good shot at it Uh, and I don't blame him for giving that shot but uh, you know he didn't really prove it last year Uh, one of the worst defensive teams worst goals against last year so he came in this year you know hey you know let's let's start over let's you know Let's see where we can go from here. And uh, he, he still hasn't really taken over the crease. They brought in Morazic as a backup. McElhaney has actually been the better of all the goalies, but he's actually injured now. So now Scott Darling's in the minors. Morazic's here. Yeah. Uh, McElhaney probably almost was about to take over the crease just out of just sheer dominance of how he's played over the last couple of seasons, but particularly this season. But he's got an injury, so it's almost like Morazic, you know, Take it. It, it. It's it's here. Take everything you can for it. So uh, yeah, Mrazic I like as a goalie. He's still young, and he was kind of behind Howard or kind of one A one B type of deal. So yeah, kind of looking to see what he can do uh, for this Carolina team. But what I kind of meant by it is just Carolina in the beginning part of this game looked a lot like the Ducks have looked through most of this season, where it's just. Miss passes. They just The the connection's not quite right. And uh, unfortunately, they don't normally have a goalie that's going to bail them out. They, they're missing that goalie that the Ducks have. But I saw a lot of miscues early on that Carolina was doing that were just eerily similar to how the Ducks have been playing for most of this season. But the Ducks have had a goalie to bail them out.
2: Yeah, the thing that's funny with Carolina is you, you normally get a team and they'll go after one goalie who they was a, a pretty good backup and they think can be a starter uh, yeah. <laughs> with Edmonton going after camp Talbot. And, and, and there's a fair amount of other teams who, who made the decision to do that. Carolina has three of them. And yeah. that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> choice where you go after Scott Darling, who had an excellent season as a backup in Chicago, and you're hoping that he would be a starter. And then as insurance, you go out and get Peter Mrazek <laughs> who a lot of people believe could be a starter. And like you said, he was behind Jimmy Howard and he was almost a one, a one B situation. And then they pick Curtis McElhinney up off waivers, who was the backup behind Freddie Anderson last year and had a phenomenal season with the Leafs. Uh, Normally, I mean, like I said, you see a team go after one of those guys. The Hurricanes are kind of hedging their bets and going after three of them. And the bad thing for them is none of them have really worked out. So it's it's a tough situation to be in.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I call it the the Aladdin uh, theory, where uh, you try to find that diamond in the rough and see if uh, one of them, you know, polishes off to... Uh, be the one that could rub the lamp and change your fortunes but uh, at this point yeah no one's really kind of taken it or they've taken it sporadically or there's been injuries and so it seems at this point they've given up on Scott Darling if they've put him to the minors and then McElhaney gets hurt and they don't even try and bring him up to back up Mrazek that's that's saying loads of uh, information to me right there that they've kind of given up on it but it's an interesting strategy that. In my opinion, it's like uh, I like seeing those those backup goalies that have shown they can play, give them a shot and see where they go. And it's just it's hit or miss. And unfortunately they're 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 like oh two and one. I guess is what you can say with McElhaney kind of uh outperforming what he's normally done.
2: Yeah, and that actually gets us to the the first goal of the game for the Ducks and well the only goal for the Ducks in this game, but Jakob Silverberg originally has a breakaway of his own. Hits the post, kind of gloves it down, and and then it bounces all the way back to the point for Dachin, who just wires a shot that takes a small deflection off Jakob Silverberg. It's funny because Hayward was saying that uh, he was snake bit and how uh, right after he hits the post, and then Dachin wires a perfect shot that just seems to glance in off Silverberg. So no longer snake bit because he gets a lucky (laughs) bounce off of his foot and into the net which, I mean, it's huge for him, huge for the Ducks, because he needs to get going. He hasn't mm-hmm. got anything going since his hot start to the season. Right. Um, and it also goes for Jake Dodgen to. I, I think that probably was going to go in no matter what. <laughs> um, it's nice to see him get on the board and get his first point as a Duck, too.
1: Yeah, there's was uh, three random things that worked out really well. Uh, I guess four. If you count the post where he, uh, you know, Silverberg didn't make it, But it's one where he could have hit the post and then just kept skating by, but didn't. The puck kind of fluttered up, and he tried to make a play on it and kind of glove it down. Fortunate, uh, you know, A, that he got it with his glove and that he put it down, and it was right to your boy, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, He ends up getting that puck. And here's the second fortunate play is that instead of – he had time. They're on the power play. I mean, this is something where he can maybe – curl back around, take a different route, do something. But instead, all he does is he gets a little bit of pressure and then just tries to chip it up the boards where he's got nobody there to help him. It's just Dodson coming in who gets the puck and just hammers a shot. And then the third lucky thing that happens is it just happens to glance off of Silverberg's Shingard and just inside the far post on Mrazek. Uh I mean, what an odd sequence of goals. Almost every goal that happened this game was just odd. It's just like a lot of things are just like, oh yeah. all right. Well, that happened. But like uh, that sequence between hitting the post, knocking the puck down, Dougie Hamilton not playing it particularly well, where he normally is a steadfast guy. A rookie blasting a shot hits the guy in front and just somehow goes in. It's just odd. Just <laughs> That's hockey. That's why goalies hate hockey sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, coming from this play and then into the next little bit for the Ducks, they do get a power play, and this is really where they had probably their best sustained pressure uh, of the entire game because Daniel Sprong hits the post that close to being his second goal as a duck and making it 2 nothing. Uh, he, again, uh, had a good game, I think, this game. Uh, it, it's tough to pick out a good game when most of the Ducks players didn't play particularly well, or if you're looking on paper, especially it didn't look too great for them. But I, I think he played another solid game, and like uh, he was that close to having his second goal, and he just seems to create chances every time he gets the puck on his stick, which you can't say for too many players right now. Maybe Andre Castro is a guy you could say generally does that anytime he's on the ice. Uh, but it's nice to have another guy in the lineup again, a small sample size, but that seems to be able to do that on a nightly basis.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, we've almost got like three guys that can, can literally play well on the fourth line, third, second, or first line. And that's between uh, actually four, I would say almost four guys. Now you you got Kasha <laughs> could do that. Aberg can do that. Uh, now Sprong and even Silverberg. I mean, you really want to put Silverberg all the way down the fourth line, but those guys can play in there and they can thrive in any situation or any lineup that they're in. So it's good to have another versatile player that can hopefully continue to put pucks in the net. The fact that not only do you get the look on the top line, you got a look on the top power play a couple of times. Uh, and that was kind of the first one where they got that power play, just rang it off the post unfortunately, but that close to that, that could really change the game You get that posting in and we're up two nothing. That's, that's a good start.
2: Yeah, and then from here on out for the rest of the, the last five or so minutes of this period, it was the John Gibson show because he took over and just started making some ridiculous saves. He uh, ended up robbing Sebastian Ajo, who was alone on the on the right side with a, a kind of a glove save. He kind of just lunges over and gets his body onto it <laughs> and makes a save on that. Uh, Dougie Hamilton had a pretty good shot that uh, John Gibson got a pretty good piece of as well. I mean, he just made some ridiculous saves, and as uh, the Ducks pointed out on Twitter, some ten bell saves, which he's done uh, numerous times this year. Only reason that the Ducks come out of this first period one to nothing uh, is an unlucky hitting the post, and then of course John Gibson just standing on his head. Yeah, I mean, prior to the maybe the last uh, five minutes of the game, Carolina was up six to five
1: in shots. I mean, at that point, it was pretty close. They end up getting that power play, and then that power play didn't look great for Carolina, the first half of it. The penalty actually looked pretty good for the Ducks, but then what ended up happening is Dougie Hamilton did some really nice moves, got open. He had a blast of a shot that Gibby just got a piece of. That kind of created havoc as a puck went behind the net, and then Aho gets left out in front. And um, the one thing Gibby did really, really well— is that he did a little push forward and anticipated a a glove shot. So he kind of raised everything up and got just a piece of it. They call it the cheater, which is the little part that's not really the glove, like your palm, like baseball, you think that's the glove. The goalies have a little cheater here to help protect the wrist. They caught just enough of that to go up and out. So Pat hates the cheater. He thinks that's how goalies are <laughs> cheating. Uh, <yeah. laughs> but uh, it's 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 maybe a little bit too big. But at that point, it, it came in handy for the Ducks for sure.
2: Yeah, and, and Chelshock uh, brings up a pretty good point in our Spreaker chat. Uh, he says the only problem he had with Sprong on the top line today was expecting too much. And I, I felt yeah. like a lot of people, uh, especially after, I mean, again, this, this kind of was the same thing that happened with Maxim Comtois. Uh, scoring in his first game mm. and then just playing well throughout uh, his time before he got <laughs> injured. Yeah. And I ended with Troy Terry even before he made it to the Ducks is is this generally seems to be a lot of hype around young players in the Ducks organization and almost too much expectations put on them because, you know, I saw some people <laughs> after the game talking about Daniel Sprong and saying, uh, well, he didn't really follow up as a good performance in last game, but what are you going to expect him to score on a nightly basis? And, and, I think we're expecting too much for him. Because I, I think, by all means, he had a strong game. And and like we mentioned before, he was uh, a couple inches away from having his second goal as a duck anyway.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if that's almost like a Getzloff effect. Like, oh, you got bumped to the first line. All you got to do is just be around. Getzloff will hit you. It's just All you got to do is just just put it in the net. What are you doing? How come you can't put it in the net? He just hit you with the pass. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, maybe it's not only the the expectation of – you know, ducks fans just going, well, off will set anybody up and you can put anyone there and they should hit it. And if they're not hitting it, it's not Geslov's fault. It's it's whoever is there. And it's yeah. it's not as easy. And even as Sprong's goal, I mean, that one, although a good shot, you would you would think Corey Crawford would have wanted to play that one a little bit better. And so even then just having an, an over expectation of how he was gonna perform. Uh, you know, just he's got to settle into everything. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't think it was a, a bad second game for a guy uh, who in his first game played more minutes in a game than he had all season with Pittsburgh. So, I mean, this this guy's getting more minutes. He's getting more looks. He'll get more chances if he's getting chances. That's all I care about. If he gets chances and they don't quite go in and he does that for a really long time, then I start going, OK, he's kind of a bust. But if you're going to go, well, he gets chances. But, you know, two games, he only has one goal. I was like, "Come on, yeah,
2: <laughs> the yeah." It, there's there's plenty of time for him to, for us to even determine if it was a good trade or not. I think we have already kind of talked about this on the last show, where it'll take a little bit of of time to really determine if it was worth it or not. It, you know, I I feel for this trade, it's either gonna be a home run or a bust. I, I don't think it's gonna really sit in in the middle between that. I think he's either an AHL player or he is like a top nine forward consistently because of just the skill set that he has. And it's, it's whether he can figure it out or not. And, you know, we're seeing the same thing with Pontus Averg where he's got a a ton of skill and he can do it occasionally, but consistency is a problem for him. And on the defensive side of the game, he's not maybe the most reliable player. So that's, that's kind of what we're trying to figure out with Daniel Sprong. And we're obviously not at that point yet because uh, I think, me included, and a lot of us haven't watched a lot of Penguins games this year, so we probably don't know <laughs> Do You haven't? I, that's
1: all I've been doing.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's hard to judge his play there, especially because he was in a different situation. He was playing fourth-line minutes there, and it's been two, two games so far of him playing top six minutes. He played on the second line in the last game. He played on the first line for about half of this game and then moved down to the second line. So uh, we need some more time. I, I think it's a little bit too early to judge what type of player he's going to be.
1: Yeah, like we were talking about the uh, the, the Aladdin uh, strategy, uh, um, Bob Murray has that with trades. It, it's kind of like he tries to find the diamond in the rough, and he, he hopes he doesn't have to give up too much to get something that ends up working. It works out sometimes, and then sometimes it's Danny Heatley. So it's, it's weird. But Auberge has worked out this season, and that's a great find. And you know, you, you hope that uh, Sprong can kind of do it. But yeah, you got to give him that time. You know, uh, he had uh, one. You know, he's had a couple of home games, so he's he's got to figure it out. Give him some time.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, if we can quick wrap up, I guess of the first period, Ducks come out of it up one nothing, outshot thirteen to eight by <laughs> or thirteen to six by Carolina.
0: Don't give which, too much <laughs> uh,
2: not as bad as the last time I played Carolina. It was a 20-5 to five the, uh, last time. Uh, that still somehow came out, again, not trailing in that game as well. Um, yeah. More maybe of a testament to the fact that Carolina literally just shoots the puck from anywhere. And yeah. they get some inflated shot totals. Uh, they did Man. come out on the upper end of, of scoring chances in this game, so it was a better game for them. But uh, I feel like every time I go look at the box score... For that, for the <laughs> Hurricanes they have 25, 30 shots at the end of the second intermission. So it's yeah. generally a team that puts up a lot of shots on net. Yeah, and and
1: the Curtis said the Ducks who usually give up a ton of shots against a team that takes a ton of shots. Because uh, for the first fifteen minutes, I didn't really mind the game. I thought I thought the Ducks were doing well. We you know we got a shorthanded goal. Uh, we weren't really dominating, but neither was Carolina. And then once that one power play happened where they got like three or four chances and Gibby was, once again, 10 bell saves or top-level saves is what I would call them, uh, the Ducks were outshot in the last you know, five or six minutes, seven to one. And that's how they end the, the period, being down 13 to six in shots. So it's just – it's you kind of – I could kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit. I'm like, all right. Well, hopefully they don't do what they normally do in the second, and we can maybe turn this around, but I could just kind of see the old problems starting to resurface a little bit.
2: Yeah, and we kind of see that a little bit, I guess, in the first goal of the game for the Carolina Hurricanes, where um, this will be a theme, as you've already mentioned, throughout the rest of the night with the goals that are scored. Uh, some weird ones, uh, to weird. say the least, where it's Clark Bishop... Uh, who scores his first uh, National sorry, uh, Hockey League goal, who? I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, exactly. This is this yeah. is a trend that Ducks fans know all too well, is a guy getting his first National Hockey League goal against us. Uh, one that, that he sense. will remember, but also probably not remember, because I think he didn't really <laughs> realize he scored at first, where he's yeah. kind of just driving the net. And <laughs> this is a tough one, because Campus yeah. Lindholm does push him into the net, but he loses his footing his foot sweeps around and causes Bishop to fall and take out John Gibson. And ultimately, it was the reason why the puck crosses the line. It's one of those borderline plays. It was called no goal on the ice. Um, I didn't think it was conclusive enough for them to overturn it because Hampus Lindholm is falling, and that's the reason he pushes Bishop into to Gibson. But it was borderline, and I felt like it could go anyway. Obviously, the ref felt like... That uh, it was a good goal. That there was no goal or goal. There was goaltender interference, but it was at the result of what Hampus Lindholm did.
1: Yeah, there's a couple things that kind of led into this, and this is something I kind of noticed a couple times in the first period. Is Lindholm just seemed to be a little bit off? I even I noted it before we even got into the second period, where he he just had a couple turnovers where you know, at that point hadn't cost the ducks, but he had one where he was inside his own blue line and just passes it and turns it over right in the high slot and then I think it was uh Sir, not Sergachev, it's Chevynov or something. Svenshnikov. Right? That's the one. And uh he uh you know he he got a great chance and ended up just you know blasting away. But I noticed that Linholm just a little off his game and then in this one Bishop just kind of outworks him and you know gets in front of him and that's what kind of leads to the whole problem where Lindholm eventually ends up kind of using his upper body strength, kind of pushes him off balance, and then both of their legs kind of come out. So initially it was called no goal because the ref thought the net had fallen off before the puck crossed the line. They have to review that uh, for our uh, Toronto said that, you know, Hey, we got to review this. It goes, the puck definitely crossed the line before the net comes off the mooring, So that's why they called it initially a good goal after the first review. At that point, it's up to Randy Carlisle. If he wants to go ahead and review goalie interference because Bishop's skate did kick out uh, um, Gibby's uh, pad to prevent him. But, I'd 100% agree with this one too. The only reason his skate kicked Gibby's pad out of the way is because Lindholm took him down. the whole The whole problem was Lindholm getting beat and then taking him down. Literally gave Gibson no chance to even play the puck because he took that guy out. And the guys going skate, they're both going skate first into Gibson. But uh, you know, just a, a fluky, weird goal that ends up standing up, and uh, rightfully so because I I didn't feel there yeah. was anything that that should have brought that goal. Back from being a goal.
2: Yeah, it's not the traditional call where it, uh, <laughs> normally it's a player who pushes, like with the, uh, either a cross check or, or some kind of push with the hands and pushes an opposing player into the net. It's more so he lost his, his balance and lost his footing, which still caused Bishop to go into the net. And again, I, I agree with the call in that sense because. Maybe it's it's not so much Hampus Lindholm's fault because he does fall, but it's definitely not Bishop's fault. Yeah, and yeah. You know, at <laughs> he's, that the, point-
1: he's the victim in this besides Gibson maybe. He's the victim. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, no matter if
2: if mad, uh, you know pushed him or meant to do that or whatever, it still ends up in the back of the net at no fault of, of Bishop. And, and at that point, you kind of have to call it a goal. Sucks for yeah. the Ducks. Sucks for John Gibson because, again, they're, like you said, there's not much you can do on that play. Um, but the Ducks don't really pick up their play after this because the, it was a kind of a, an uneventful first five minutes other than that goal. Uh, the only things that really happened for the next five minutes after that were uh, Ryan Kessler got a decent chance on Mrazek in front, um, and that was pretty much it because Carolina just started to take over the game. The Ducks were sloppy on the power play. They were sloppy at five on five. Carolina, again, just kept trying to put as many shots as they could on net. Shots were 19-9 to at the halfway point of the second period. Uh, And then they spent an entire shift hemming the Ducks' fourth line in their own zone, which is tough because it's not the fourth line from last game. Uh, Brian Gibbons replaced Andre Kasha on that fourth line spot, so it was him and Carter Rowney there down there tonight. Um, Not the best-looking fourth line, especially when you get trapped out there against one of the Hurricanes' best lines, which is, again, not something you— Probably expect to happen when you have the last change. Uh, A a poor decision by the Ducks coaching staff there to somehow get that fourth line out there against one of the Hurricanes' top lines. Um, And and it just kind of continued down there from there. The the rest of the Ducks' power plays they had in this game were relatively sloppy. We'll get to the 5-on-3 at some point, (laughs) which was the, the pinnacle of everything. But uh, this is really after this where you know, Randy Carlisle started to realize the Ducks just couldn't get anything going on offense, and he started line juggling, which is a, a new Classic trait
1: Carlisle.
2: for Randy Carlisle this year. He's taken <laughs> the old Bruce Boudreau line juggler and uh, made it his own, I guess, and he bumped Pontus Aberg up, or sorry, he bumped uh, Sprong down to the second line with Henrique and Richie and brought up Andre Kasha to the first line with Aberg and Genslaff. It didn't really do anything. Uh, I thought it was a good move. I thought that's how the the line should have been been started of the the beginning. Yeah, (laughs) but uh, it didn't really change anything to to begin with. And honestly, I felt like the initial setup actually worked better than when he changed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the second period is kind of the same second period the Ducks uh, usually have, and it's not even just this season that they've had horrible second periods. I mean, this just seems to be. Um, a virus that won't go away just keeps re-emerging, uh, much like injuries to the Ducks. Uh, but it's just like the second period is just – it was a collapse. And like I said, I, I saw a little bit towards the end of the first period where they just kind of started to collapse. And then things just weren't clicking. The, the power play just – you know, it wasn't too horrible in the first when they got their chance. But once they started going you know, in the second period, it was just like passes weren't there. Uh, and when passes start falling off, that's when I start feeling the Ducks are in trouble. When when easy passes should be made and easy outlet should be made and they're not, that's a team that's just a little bit out of sync or there's certain players that are out of sync and it's, it, it just all starts to kind of fall apart and the wheels kind of come off the wagon a little bit. So I don't blame Carlisle for changing it. The only goal we had at that point was a shorthanded goal and we had, just been bleeding shots since then and not really generating much of anything five on five or on the power play when we should try and be dominating a team that's struggling to score goals. So it, 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 it sucks, but I mean, he's, he's got to try and find something to do because nothing else was working at that point.
2: Yeah. And somehow though, the ducks came out of the second period <laughs> with a nine to eight shot advantage in that period, which really didn't seem like it uh carolina still had the total shot advantage of 21 to 15 the game was tied at 1-1 um it, but it did feel like despite the ducks out shooting carolina it felt like carolina probably had the better period they were starting to take control of the game um the ducks have notoriously been bad in second periods but they've actually been pretty decent as of late in third periods so you kind of had that hope going into the third you're at home you're you know you're yeah. still tied Tied. in a game you shouldn't
1: be tied in
2: (laughs) yeah and and it was a fluke goal that that you got scored on so you know it felt pretty good but uh probably the worst start you could ask for going into the third period because it doesn't take long for the hurricanes to get on the board with another uh weird one that i guess you can blame this one you can probably blame john gibson for a little bit because (sighs) It, it kind of comes off the boards <laughs> to Brett Pesci at the top yeah. of the circle. Uh, and Pesci, he just chops Pesci, at it. like Joe. Like Joe Pesci. Yeah.
1: Although yeah, they he spell just... it differently. That's weird.
2: Yeah, it, it's spelled like... I don't even... I, I, uh, I, yeah, I yeah, There's
1: no I in it. Joe Pesci has an I in it somewhere.
2: Anyways. But, yeah, it, it, it gets kind of chipped off the, the right wall by Torvatera Vinen to yeah. Pesci in the middle. Who... Doesn't really shoot it. It's not a wrist shot. It's not a slap shot. It's not even a snap shot. Not he not just sw- shot. Like golf swings at it, <laughs> and uh, it gets exactly nice what swing. I called it. <laughs> yeah, and gets. It, a it, nice... was, it was
1: a go- Yeah, it, it was a golf swing, and and You, you, you I, I can watch the you know the back view of Gibson where like the the puck goes up and it literally lands. And the guy golf swings at the exact same time. It's almost like, I don't know if you ever see uh, one of those uh, really old school, I'm going to date myself here, Nike commercials where um, Tiger Woods just keeps like balancing a ball on uh, a golf club, keeps bouncing, bounce, bounce it, and then does it really high, then takes it. And then as it's dropping down, just smacks it. Perfect timing, just kills it all the way yeah. out there, there. So it was the same thing. It just like bounce at the exact same time. This guy just timed it. And for a goalie, you don't know where that's going. You're hoping no. you're in the right spot, but the play was a little bit up to his left. The shot goes down to his right. And so now it's just like, it's like it's coming. I don't know what this guy's... You, you can't even assume a shot is coming at that point. Yeah, you and can't then, even read you know, it, right? Exactly. It, it just comes off the stick. And you're like, you're, all right, I hope I'm in a good position for him. But that wasn't the guy I was even thinking was going to shoot. So at that point, it's another one of those just fluky goals. I wouldn't blame Gibson in the least. He was pretty good in position for the original play. And then he had to wait to see what was going to happen. And the guy just didn't – there was no wait. It was just slapped at him. And he's just like, well, crap. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that just that, – when that went in, I mean, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to guess he's going to shoot low right side off of one-timer out of midair. He had to yeah. deal with a third dimension.
2: <laughs> I, it's a, it's a tough <laughs> one. It's a tough one to read because like yeah. you said, you you can't really read where it's gonna come off the stick because it, it literally it touches the stick for a second. It uh, a it, it's idea. yeah, and, and the puck is, is flipping and rolling by the time it gets <laughs> to Pesci as well and uh, it, it's far enough out, but still kind of close enough that you can't really pick it up either if you're John Gibson, and it just goes into the bottom corner where you really can't do anything about it. You know, if it if it uh, ends up going the other way, it's just going to hit him. It's not going to really matter. But it somehow Pesci picks a corner off this golf swing <laughs> uh, in the perfect it's spot.
1: So- It's so annoying for goalies. You have no idea because that that play starts over there and they like flutters to him like nice and slow. So so all of a sudden you have a certain speed and a, a certain odd trajectory already. And then all of a sudden the guy just takes it from that place to instantly straight direction, down low, quick, no time. Yeah. I mean, your whole timing's off. There's just nothing to really pick up off of the play other than you hope you're in the right position. But at the same time, he's got to think, Maybe that dude corrals it, moves, and i got to make sure I'm going to be ready to move to my left. So I'm going to wait and see what happens. And then just as the puck hits, the guy's already releasing a shot. It's just freaky and weird.
2: Yeah, (laughs) There's there's, there's uh, no way to
1: to, to defend it. You just hope it hits you.
2: It it doesn't get any better. Uh, It gets weirder (laughs) on the next goal for the Hurricanes where um, Justin Williams, presumably still, Got a piece mm-hmm. of this, but it's it's Calvin DeHaan who gets the puck back in the blue line and he throws a really high shot on John Gibson. Uh no, and, was it and DeHaan this,
1: or they, did they say it was um, um, yeah.
2: Bishop again? They said it was Clark Bishop, but uh, what a surprise. The Ducks broadcast uh, team was wrong. What? They didn't. What uh, player they're picking up. <laughs> uh, Clark Bishop actually wasn't even involved in the play. The final, the final goal. Was, I skipped through uh, most
1: of the third. I just stopped for the yeah. goal. So that's why I didn't know.
2: <laughs> the final goal was Justin Williams from Calvin DeHaan and Andre Vetchnikov. So Clark Bishop, I don't even know if he was on the ice. Uh, yeah. If he was, he's the third forward on that play. And he was really nowhere involved in the play. But, um, I mean, as I said, it was a high shot from Calvin DeHaan that John Gibson doesn't really see after it hits him kind of falls yeah. into his equipment. It ends up eventually hitting the ice. And, <laughs> the uh, more explanation
1: you have on just the shot, yeah. instead of a shot goes in, it's more of like, well, the shot went in, but it hit him. It rolled this way. It fell just to the left. This guy comes in, smacks it. That. The more you add on to after the initial shot, the weirder of the play is. But no, it gets it gets
2: even worse because it's it's a chop from Justin Williams that actually hits off Adam Henrique's stick and goes off of John Gibson's foot and into the very bottom <laughs> corner on the right side of the net another weird one not again (laughs) maybe like you try and blame somebody for this but you know maybe John Gibson should have handled that high shot better but it's hard to handle those because you're kind of jumping into it and at that point if it hits you in the shoulder it could really go anywhere Unluckily for him it, it bounces straight down onto the ice and Justin Williams is the first guy to see it and no. even so, he gets the worst piece of it, and it just bounces in off Adam Henry's stick. It's, it's like the three goals that went in on him in this game, what are you, you, really, what are you supposed to do on that one?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, far from it for me to judge how John Gibson saw the shot. I don't know if that shot, the initial shot, might have gone over. But the fact he's standing up and almost doing a jump to kind of get to it. Uh, it tells me that it was probably gonna go over the bar, but at that point he's so, and I think he was actually a little bit screened, so he was still up and then just all you can do is like all of a sudden you see it and you go, I didn't get that. you know, if it's close enough, I'm not gonna take any chances. So yeah. he does it, gets it in the shoulder on the stick side. Now if it's the glove side, that's a little bit easier to do this and start to catch. It was on your blocker side, you hit it and then you're like, okay, that's a blocking save. So it should go somewhere, hopefully, in front of me. It doesn't. He does the block, and it rolls down his back as he's, he's moving around, trying to identify where it is. Doesn't really find it. It hits the ground. He does a desperation sprawl around. I'm going to try and take down low away. Whatever I can do to, to not let this cross the line down low, make him put it up high. And then, like I said, it goes there. Henrique and Justin Williams at the same time see where the puck is going. They both go for it. Uh, Henry gets a stick there first, but then Justin Williams, I like, guess, gives him a slash that propels the puck off of Gibby's falling leg. <laughs> like, even the propels, you know, it, where the it puck It doesn't get gone. less
2: weird
0: the more I you know, explain like, it.
1: That puck, if Gibson's leg isn't there, that puck, it's not directed at the net. It's not directed anywhere else except away from the net. Unfortunately, the way Gibby has fallen, the exact moment that puck gets hit, hits the leg, somehow slides underneath him, just barely inside of the post and never even really hits the back of the net. It's just stupid.
2: <laughs> As a goalie,
1: you're just like annoyed that, that all of those things went wrong in a row.
2: <laughs> I guess this is how you score goals uh, when you're a team who literally yes. throws everything you can <laughs> on net. Uh, these are the types of goals that are going to go in, I'm sure – for Hurricanes fans, this might not be a surprise seeing these types of goals go in uh, when that's literally your game plan is to do that. Uh, but the Ducks were not without their chances to get back in in this game. They had that 5-on-3 power play that we mentioned for about a minute 20, uh, and it didn't feel like that because they literally I they don't remember them getting a significant scoring chance whatsoever on that 5-on-3, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, maybe a five on four because of how bad the Ducks' power plays have been this year. You're like, yeah, whatever. If they don't get a, a chance in a five on four, it sucks. But we're used to it. But a five on three, you're down by two goals. You're already getting outplayed. Uh, you know, after the five on three, they were getting outshot fourteen to four in the third period. So there really was no fight. But no, you gotta capitalize on it and at least make Mrazek work. But they didn't even make the the Hurricanes penalty kill sweat. No, no. Like I said,
1: they, the only dangerous thing that seemed to be out there from a Ducks perspective was the penalty kill. They outworked the other power play on a couple of different penalty kills. Uh, other than that, um, with the exception of maybe the first half of the very first power play we have, the, the ducks were non-existent. Uh, you know, I was more I was more worried about a shorthanded goal than I was optimistic a power play goal might happen. And five on five, once again, it just it wasn't there. The compete level wasn't there. It's something we've seen for a while. We're just used to Gibby bailing us out. And in all respects, Gibby did everything he could have done, with the exception of just three fluky goals that just happened to go in. At some point, that's gonna that's gonna happen. Uh, but it's just. It's, it's bad when, you know, you, you, you go in a power play and you go like, crap, how are we going to screw this up? And especially if you go to five on three and you yeah. go like, well, who knows? You know, it could be anything. But it just felt like almost that, that karma where the Ducks should have lost against Carolina and now they, they, they kind of got it back a little bit, just through weird plays.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, that pretty much sums it up for the rest of the third period other than Sebastian Ajo, getting the empty net goal to make it four to fantasy one player yeah so it takes th- some the, solace <laughs> out of this. the slight bonuses you get from your your favorite team losing is the fact yeah. you had sebastian aho in fantasy but uh getzlaff fights justin falk at the end sort of fights him did you yeah, yeah
1: did you, you didn't put quotation marks up there so yeah, yeah uh,
2: you couldn't tell. it was it was Fight. implied yeah he, he uh it took him a while to get into a fight and then they were just kind of talking and then Gessel had his gloves off and I guess Falk was like sure why not sure
1: i guess and then like they thought they were dozy doe for a while and then Gessel tried an uppercut real quick and then Falk did one real quick punch and then it's like i'm going to fall now <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, the I... ducks led the ducks like turtles they they are fighting turtles like every every game on that last road trip and uh since we've been
2: home, <laughs> Getzlaf got pretty close with that uppercut. If that had landed, he, uh, that, had would landed been, uh, that would have been a him. devastating hit. <laughs> yeah, then it would have been worse. Then it would, I guess, you could have called it a fight if he actually yeah. landed, he landed that uppercut because he came pretty close. Anyone, but yeah. uh, so Richie lost his damn mind too. Yeah, well, that's no. Yeah, uh, uh,
1: he's he's kept it semi in check, but yeah, he lost his mind. Yeah, he yeah, was, but they've been he was winning
2: well, since he pretty much came back, and now yeah. uh, this is and one of the worst games. Yeah. So it was a step all the frustrated. way around. Yeah, everybody was frustrated. Ducks lose this game four to one. Get out shot 34 to 28, which seems relatively close for yeah. what the game uh, really felt like. And I guess when you look at scoring chances, it uh, really was. I mean, the Ducks five on five, they had four high dangerous chances for in the entire game. Carolina had 18. So that kind of tells you how that went uh, on the scoring chances front. Uh, Regular scoring chances, Carolina had 34. Ducks had 16, so more than double. Uh, Shots for at 5-on-5, Ducks had 12. Carolina had 28. So 5-on-5 was not a great adventure for the Ducks, Never really is. You're also <laughs> going against, again, one of the best possession teams and one of the best teams five-on-five five for shot attempts in the entire National Hockey League. So that's kind of expected. But, man, I mean, the, the real one that stands out for me is a high danger chance. It's 18-4 at five-on-five. Five. The Ducks could not literally generate anything at five-on-five. Five. And when it mattered in the third period, especially after you went down two goals early, they didn't do anything the third period, it was 14 scoring chances against to two. They had two scoring chances for in the third period.
1: Yeah. And if you want to say, you know, well, you know, we got beat by, you know, just unlucky goals. Uh, let's take a step back. They should have been beat by great goals that Gibson bailed them out on. I mean, so a- as much as uh, either want to say, ah, oh, they were just, you know, weird. They went in, uh, Gibson bought bought a whole lot of karma leading up to the goals that ended up going in. There wasn't any way, in my opinion, they should have been ahead after the first. They shouldn't have been tied after the second. They kind of got where they were in the third. uh, By the end of the game, but I mean, it's just it's the same same mo that we're seeing, and it just depends how lucky they get at scoring goals and how lucky, I won't say lucky, but how great John Gibson or Ryan Miller end up having to play to bail this team out. Cause that's, it's still it. Even when they win, uh, they, they, they don't win convincingly and when they lose. It's kind of like, yeah, they look exactly the same as the game before, but just a little crappier. Uh,
2: and uh, I mean, we'll get into the post game stuff here. Cause I don't want to dwell on this game too much. <laughs> I think, it, I think uh, everyone's, it's, like, it's
1: Friday. We, we got the weekend yeah. coming up. We want to have you
2: feeling good. <sighs> it's Friday. It's early for even you guys. I mean, it's late for you guys. So yeah, it's late early for, for everybody you. right now. <laughs> um, I guess some of the news we can get into is maybe a little bit more of a dive into Ricard Raquel and his injury. Um, still a lot of question marks surrounding that and, and what's really going on. And we, uh, we know it's an ankle. That's the most we know the severity. Again, they're using the, the term tweak. So that feels like it's not that bad. Um, the question remains, is he going to be ready for Sunday? Um, that's mm-hmm. the big thing. No real answers for that yet. I'm sure we'll get them tomorrow when the Ducks practice, and we'll see uh, if he's ready to go or not, if he's skating on any lines. Same goes for Sunday uh, when they practice as well, if there's going to be any update on him there. So I guess it's kind of a wait and see. Uh, but the Ducks, is it's not like ha- Ricard Raquel has played great, uh, but they still need him in the lineup. Uh, they could not generate anything tonight offensively. And when you have a threat like Ricard Raquel in the lineup, no matter how inconsistent he's played this year, uh, that definitely helps out. And it's been, it has been—it was a, kind of a tough loss not having him there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, when they use the word tweak, I mean, I've tweaked my knee, I've strained my knee, and I've sprained my knee. It's not an ankle, obviously, is what he's going through or at least what it seems like. Um uh, so I know the difference in the verbiage is much different. And I don't think they come out and say tweak unless the doctor or Ricard says that. So, I mean, if you say the word tweak, I've tweaked something and I've been back a day later, two days later, I strain something. I'm looking more like a week to get back. I sprain something. It's, it's two to four, two to six weeks. It just depends how bad that sprain becomes. But when you say the word tweak, i got to be a little bit optimistic that it's sooner rather than later, you know, after this game. He gets a rest maybe tomorrow. He gets some rest coming up down the lineup. But right now we're sitting in a good enough spot that you don't have to necessarily rush him out. And maybe it's a good thing to maybe just let him watch the game a little bit to kind of figure out, you know, how how everything goes. Sometimes that break away from a game and just see it from a different perspective is so much more valuable for a player to get back in there. And then all of a sudden, like it's like Solani always says, the ketchup bottle, you know, you, you're stuck, you're yeah. stuck, you're stuck. And then all of a sudden you slam it one time and everything comes out and you just get him in bunches. So, uh, you know, he's, he's too talented not to be able to produce at this point. So maybe a step back might be good for a couple of games, but we'll see. We, we need him back sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. The, the crazy thing that they said, and they mentioned on the broadcast, is Ricard Raquel, I think they said, was one of three players who had played every single game so yeah. far this year. The other two that I remember were Andrew Cogliano and Brandon Montour. I'm not sure if Ricard Raquel was the third or if he was one of four. But oh, for I the know last for two sh- years? Or oh, no, years? just this season. Just, say so, just okay. this season, which makes it even more ridiculous that only two oh. players other than Ricard Raquel have not missed a game this year. And you yeah. look at some of the big names that are not only still out of the lineup, but that have missed significant time. Cam Fowler's still out. Corey Perry's mm. still out. Getzlaff has missed time. Hamas Lindholm has missed, missed time recently. Line. Twice he's missed time. Uh, he's... It, yeah, it, it's been a tough year. I, I think Adam Henrique was the other one. Was the other one they mentioned. What so about Kessler? Moves, did he miss Kessler any games? Has missed time. Yeah, so... Uh, did the he only miss it three, early? I think it was early. Yeah, yeah I believe okay. he, he was out until... The first month of the season, I believe. He came back. Uh, okay. he, he didn't start the season with the Ducks. So the only guys remember. who haven't missed time were Montour Cogliano, of course, because Cogliano mm-hmm. never misses time unless he's getting suspensions. And, yeah, because uh, he's
1: a dirty player. We all know that.
2: Yeah, and and Adam Henrique. So uh, it's been a tough go with injuries for the Ducks. We all hope Ricard Raquel is back. On Sunday, against the New Jersey Devils, where it's essentially a family reunion for a lot of Ducks players, where <laughs> Brian Gibbons and Adam Henrique are back and in, in facing their former team. Sammy Votnin and Stefan Nason will be back on the other side facing Mary. their former team. And I'm Paul Mary as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh patch maroon used to be there. Not anymore. Mm. Yeah, uh, so there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of former Ducks and former Devils on, on opposite ends. But yeah. w- one thing I want to get into, because me and Pat didn't get into this on the last show, we didn't have enough time, uh, but we do this time, is the news about the new Seattle team in the, that's coming in 2021-2022. Uh, I guess we'll start off with just the news in general that the Ducks will be welcoming a new team to the Pacific Division and <laughs> Seattle will be joining them in there. Uh, but they'll also be losing a new t- uh, a team as well as the Arizona mm-hmm. Coyotes will be making way and moving over to the Central Division. Um, simple question, I guess, is is what is your take on Seattle as a whole and them getting a franchise?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, they, I mean, they had one, uh, originally way back when, so it's, it's kind of their second NHL franchise, but not, I think the last time they played was in the seventies, I'm guessing. I think,
2: I think it was even farther back than that. The was sixties or like, no, like early 1900s. Like, uh, they won the cup in like 1930, something, I think.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well they have a winning tradition already, so they should already be back. I'm, I'm more fascinated by, um, the whatever team name they come up with for Seattle, because wow. that seems to be the biggest thing everyone wants to know about. Um, you, you knew it was happening. At some point, there was going to be a 30, you know, you had to even out everything. So, uh, you know, when they did the, their, you know, re, was it, redistribution or realigning of the conferences, and you left 16 on one side and 14 on the other, that just screams, okay, we're going to add two more teams at some point. So here we go. Uh, You know, Vegas uh, obviously just uh, blew everyone out of the water. Uh, It'd be interesting to see if Seattle does the same thing. I don't think GMs are going to make the same problems as they uh, created for themselves, uh, certain ones. (laughs) Bummer. Uh, When uh, Seattle comes around. So Seattle's going to benefit. Vegas does not have to give up any of their players, uh, which is a nice little boost for them because they need all that help. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, you know, this way. It's kind of almost sad that Arizona slash Phoenix is going because they've always been part of the Pacific Division, uh, you know, and a Ducks rival since they, they came in. The Ducks won their very first playoff series against them in 97. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting, I guess, that Phoenix goes – or, I'm sorry, Arizona goes to the Central, and, like, the more – you know, Eastern teams in Canada, like Edmonton, or you know, they don't go
2: to the Central; they stay. So that's yeah. Weird. I, I think but the reasoning behind that, and I guess sort of what rivalries. Gary Bettman, yeah Gary Bettman tries to to <laughs> justify by saying that Arizona draws better against Central Division teams. I feel like probably most Pacific Division teams draw better against Central Division teams because you're looking at the likes of Chicago Blackhawks over there, which definitely inflates the numbers, and some very good teams in the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, Nashville Predators. Uh, very good teams in the Central Division, so I'm sure a lot of teams draw better against the Central uh, compared to the Pacific. But yeah, I mean, Arizona's the only one that made sense. Uh, you've got three rivalries down in, in California with the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks. You've got a rivalry between the Oilers and the Flames that you're never going to split up. Yeah. Uh, you've now got a rivalry between Vancouver and Seattle, Seattle. that you're hoping is going to be very good. Uh, Vegas, again, they don't really have a rival yet. Maybe they will down the road. Maybe they'll be a part of that bunch with, uh, with the, the California teams. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, the, I, I think the hope was that they were going to be a rival with Arizona Coyotes, but that didn't really work out. Yeah. And uh, and now there's the, the, the most likely option, the one that makes sense, is moving Arizona over there. But yeah, as for Seattle, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be interesting because the Ducks are going to be maybe not in as bad a spot as they were before, where you had some ridiculous contracts that you you and had some guys didn't keep. want to waive, Kevin Viexa, yeah. and yeah. you ended up losing Shade Theodore. The Ducks will not be in that position because I think, as Cap Friendly put out, and this is kind of going off what they said, is that at the time of the 2021 expansion draft, the Ducks will no longer have to protect... Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry because their contracts will be up. Uh, if they haven't resigned at any point, will be up at the end of that season. And actually Ryan Kessler's Kessler, you know, yeah. plus ends before yeah. that expansion draft. So those are three guys they don't have to protect, which is important because a lot of the rookies that they use this year will be eligible for that expansion draft and be able to be picked up in Maxime Comtois, Sam Steele, uh, Isaac Lindstrom, and Max Jones. I believe all four of them are eligible to be uh Picked up by yeah, Seattle, yeah. which are going to be important guys. You're going to want to protect. So that that's a big thing for the Ducks that those guys uh, in Getzlaf, Perry, and Kessler, you don't have to protect them if you don't want to. So, be interesting what they do with that and, and what kind of route they take. It won't be the same as the one in Vegas.
1: No, absolutely not. Yeah, we were a little handcuffed as it was for uh, those those bigger name ones that we maybe would have loved for them to take. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, you know, once we get down to that point, you know, we don't know exactly how all these players are going to start playing, you know, the rest of the way. But it it kind of almost seems, unfortunately, as much as I love him, I love the old him, uh, Kessler, the writing's kind of on the wall with where his production's going to be. I don't think it's going to go much further than that. Perry, unless you know that surgery on his knee somehow makes him a better skater, I don't see that happening, and I don't see in three years him being all that much better. lost he, he could. I mean, he's he's still proven it. Proved it last year. Proved it this year. He's still a valuable player. You know, if it not for the goaltending we have, he's the MVP of the team. So. Uh, you know, I, I think that he'd be one that we kind of keep and want to hold on to, even if, you know, it's three or four years down the road. Uh, but there was other two, I mean, and then we don't have to worry about a BXA and, uh, we're a little bit smarter on how we're going to approach maybe an expansion draft. You think they're a little bit more wise to the fact of, uh, what's going to go on. So, uh, I don't think Seattle's going to have anywhere near the success of Vegas, but then again, I didn't think Vegas would ever have the success they ever got. Yeah. So it's it's kind of you know you'd say like it doesn't make sense, but it could happen at the same time. I, I don't know. I'm kind of sad uh, Arizona went. It's kind of like that 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 I don't want to say stepchild. I don't know, it's that it's that one <laughs> that one that one friend that you're not really friends with, but he's kinda in your group and like he's a little brother of one of your best friends. So you kinda keep him around, you talk to him for a while, but then all of a sudden he goes off and just has to go hang out with his new friends. You are like, I kinda miss that guy. Oh well. Yeah, you know, I don't know, that's, that's the way I feel about it. It's like uh kinda to see him go. But at the same time, it'd be interesting to see a brand new team and see how that all folds out once we get into jesus 20 21, 22 yeah i don't even like thinking that far ahead <laughs> it's, like it's, two, it's funny <laughs>
2: because uh i felt a little bit animosity watching that press conference between the seattle ownership group and gary batman because the idea was that seattle was going to be ready to go for the 2020 2021 season mm-hmm. and they had printed off a lot of memorabilia and a lot of business cards that say Seattle 2020. They had a flag flying that said Seattle 2020 on it. Um, I mean, (laughs) I I think it makes sense. And I honestly think based off what they said, if all of it's true, that going in 2021 makes more sense to make sure that the arena is fully ready um, and that they aren't rushing into it and that they can get everything going. But it's just funny that they, they had all that ready Uh, and they dodged questions on, the most important thing that you said that everybody's looking forward to in the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah from, I mean, just the, <laughs> just the memes that have come out of it have been great. Um, <laughs> kind of well worth it. <laughs> yeah. But the report that this came out way back in January, where the Seattle arena group, they registered 13 possible NHL expansion names. So likely it's going to come from these 13 here. So it's either could be the Seattle Cougars, Seattle Eagles, Seattle Emeralds, Emeralds Evergreens, Firebirds, Kraken, Rainers, Renegades, <laughs> Sea Lions, Seals, Sockey's, Totems, and Whales. Um, some very interesting ones. Some of them make sense. Some of them uh, I really don't get. Uh, the one that kind of <laughs> stands out for me, uh, that's, I think is likely because of another report where a member of the Seattle ownership group uh, tweet or in an email stated how excited he was about the rivalry, the upcoming rivalry between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Totems is what he put in his email. Uh, Seattle Totems, I believe used to be a junior team in Seattle back in the day. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I don't think it's the best one. I, I would hate they, it. That's
1: the stupidest There are some one.
2: worse ones. I mean, the Seattle Sockeyes yeah. is, is one that I'm not a huge fan of. The Seattle Whales, uh, I don't think, yeah. you know, I think that's What be if they were
1: worse whalers? Worse. Seattle Whalers. Yeah.
2: The yeah. Seattle no, Kraken is just. Okay, uh,
1: yeah, this is funny. <laughs> yeah. But no, I would figure it would be, I, I don't know, I, it might be sea lions. I mean, they have Seattle Seahawks. And so I see lions. Maybe there's a connection somewhere in there. They shorten it up just to seals. Um, and it, even then, the emeralds or even the, the evergreens. I don't know. I don't, no, I don't think Washington is that much of a, like a, a hippie state where they're all go green and super liberal. Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't go there. My brother lives there, and I don't go there. But, uh, yeah, no, so I I – let's see. If I had a guess – I don't know. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say Emeralds. It's yeah. kind of a unique name, and it's not it's not one that's easily made fun of, <laughs> I guess. What I'm glad they're doing, though, is they are waiting for, A, the arena to be made, and I don't think they want to have the same fiasco they had when they tried to reveal the name of the Las Vegas Knights where, I don't remember if you saw that, where everything just went to crap. They couldn't get the video up for, like, 30 minutes, and yeah. they had to stall for a while, and then it was like, They were dropping like I don't know, like season tickets or money or something from balloons, and people were confused what the hell was going on. Me and my wife Marie were watching that. Marie doesn't care that much about hockey. She goes, "Oh my God, this is a total cluster, (laughs) cluster f." So uh, it was just uh... it, it, it was so bad, and I was just like, "Wow." how are they happy about this? And then like, like some of the money came out or whatever it was. I can't even remember what it was, or maybe tickets. And he just like throws them out. Say, That's good. You should keep that. Like it's, like, it's like pimping everything that was going on. And I was just, they got to do better than that. And I was so bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I think it'll be finally great to just have eight, even or f- sorry, four even conferences with mm-hmm. eight teams in each. That will just be nice to have some sort of symmetry there and actually have a, a system that makes sense. Uh, I I'm interested to see how Seattle does. They, they pack, they've always packed football stadiums. They pack soccer, no in a football stadium. They, their baseball team. I don't know if they do too well. The Mar-
1: Mariners but... have sucked as of late. the uh, football team was pretty good. Now they're kind of wishy washy. They have no basketball team, but they're talking about it. And now they have a hockey yeah. team. And so it's something for the city to gather up they will not have a problem selling out no. either. And I think but going
2: into it. it and having a rival right off the bat definitely That's helps true, too. Yeah. yeah. And intercontinental rival too. Yeah. Stupid Canadians. Uh, let's, cause now we actually <laughs> pushed this definitely a little longer than I thought, but lo- let's move off. into the last couple questions we have here with some fan questions. We have two from, from Sarah. Uh She asked on Instagram, what are our thoughts on Jakob Larson? Do you think he's actually NHL ready or just a better option than Suster and Shen? Yes, to
1: both. Um, I, I think he is NHL ready, and he's definitely better than both of those other two options. The other thing that I've noticed, too, is that Manson and him have a pretty good chemistry. Manson seemed to struggle a lot early on. I think uh, there was, uh, it was a little bit of a, a force to have him with anybody other than Lindholm. And so, uh, you didn't really see Josh Manson doing Josh Manson things. Once it got paired with, uh, Larson, uh, they, they seem to kind of click a lot better. And that alone, if you can help out, you know, and have that chemistry one, you know, two defensemen together and have a chemistry together where things click, it makes things a lot better on defense. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens when Fowler comes back and kind of go, goes into the fold there. Uh, but not only him, but also Mahura's, um, you know, ascension or at least the couple of games that he ended up playing were the reason, in my opinion, that Pedersen became the odd man out and was uh, definitely uh, tradable at that point for hopefully some some other offense. So I, I think they're investing more in Larson being the guy who's going to show up and uh, be that, you know, cog in the wheel as needed. So I think they have more faith in him than they did in Pedersen.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if he's 100% ready because he's still making some of those mistakes and, and maybe not so much lately but there was a lot of puck watching going on and, and a few plays and, and just some poor decisions. He made a really bad change one time and then there was another time where the Ducks just made a bad change. He came off the bench and just did not hustle to get back and help out and it led to a goal and there's been a couple plays like that where you kind of look at that and say hey, maybe he's not ready but I, on the flip side, I, I definitely think he's a better option than Sušter or Shen at this point. And you know, he's going to have his mistakes and he's going to struggle. But no matter what, I think he's still a better option than those guys. And the Ducks need some help on the left side right now, especially after dealing Marcus Pedersen and having to deal with Cam Fowler being out of the lineup. They're going to utilize the fact that they have Jacob Larson and he's the best option right now that they can have on the left side. And then obviously Josh Maher as well. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think that question kind of gets split. Is, is Yeah, I think he's probably NHL ready. Uh, does he have room for improvement? Definitely, but he is a better option, I think, than both of those guys. Um, her next question was on Twitter, so switching it up. Uh, she asked, when Perry is given the okay to come back into the lineup, where do you see him fitting in, and should he jump in immediately, or do you think he should take the rest of the season off to rehab?
1: damn um i don't know because i don't know what goes through randy Carlyle's head a lot of times and i don't know what bob murray is trying to get out of perry at this point either and i almost feel like it's not puppet puppet master but it's kind of like hey you know randy listen to me you need to kind of do it this way i'll let you make that final choice but this is what i see should be working And then Carlisle is just going to kind of do whatever he feels ends up working within a game. So at that point, I guess if he comes back and they're confident enough, I think they probably try and give him more top minutes. I mean, I don't think they're going to rush him in unless the Ducks are, I don't even think if the Ducks are tanking, they're really going to rush him in. They're going to put him through quite a few practices, make sure he's good to go, exactly evaluate where he's at. And based on what they see and what they know about him, if, if he, I think the only way he's possibly successful is if he's on the top line. I don't think he will be. I don't think he's going to be the guy that's, uh, you know, the guy we we were used to seeing as far as a couple of years ago, Corey Perry. So I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of great spots for him or a lot of things available, but I don't think it's someone you also put on the fourth line without insulting the dude. So he will find somewhere in the top three and it just depends who he finds chemistry with. Um, He's not a bad option to be a third-line player. If it ends up working out that way, it's not ideal for him. But it all kind of depends on how he recovers from knee surgery. at, what is he? Thirty-three years of age. So, yeah, it's, there's not exactly a whole lot of uh, up-looking, uh, you know, uh, upwards-looking. But hopefully, he, you know, it could be wrong. Sometimes that breakaway ends up happening for you.
2: Yeah, I, I think at that point, you you have to kind of guess who's going to be around because there's a good chance that Jakob Silverberg might not be a duck at that point, no matter how the Ducks are doing, because you know Bob Murray's not going to want to lose him for nothing.
0: Think, yeah. So if that's
2: the case and, and Silverberg isn't there, uh, there is a hole that opens up for Corey Perry to jump into the lineup. And, you know, we have no idea at that point. That's a very long time down the road and, and yeah. how Daniel Sprong going to be doing, how Pontus Aberg's going to be doing. If Pontus Aberg is even there, because the Ducks could definitely decide to sell on him and sell high as well and uh, move on from him and Silverberg. That all depends on where, what they're doing. So I think to look at where Corey Perry is going to be in the lineup, uh, there's too many variables, variables that go into yeah. it. Um, you would have to think that for a, a lot of the reasons you mentioned that he would go into the top six, just because of, of his pedigree and just the name in general. And why would you you know, play a guy like that uh, in the bottom six when you're not really going to get much out of him? Um, the thing I'm worried about, and what I wasn't really ever worried about until the whole Ryan Kessler stuff went down, is the Ducks rushing him back for no reason. They did that with Ryan Kessler. They rushed him back because they felt like they needed him in the lineup. He clearly wasn't ready. Everybody knew it. They still continued to play him when the guy was missing practices and they still wanted to play him. And, and I'm sure Ryan Kessler was somewhat involved in that as well as a guy pressuring to play. But that's what worries me about Corey Perry is, is they might say he's 100%, but if he's not, there, there's no reason he should come back. If he's not ready in March, no matter where the Ducks are, if they're in a playoff spot, if they're fighting for a playoff spot, if they're miles out of the playoffs if he's not 100% ready to come back, there's no reason he should come back. And if that means missing the rest of the season, taking the summer off to rehab and coming back at full strength at the beginning of next season, then do it. I I don't see what the point of bringing in a 50% or 75% Corey Perry when you maybe will be able to get him at whatever 100% of the new Corey Perry is going to be. And that's just for his health in general. I mean, the guy, when we saw him last at FanFest. He was wearing a he could barely move his leg. He's wearing an immobilizer. He's getting The why is he going to
1: FanFest?
2: <laughs> He's getting swarmed still. He's getting swarmed by by crazy people, but uh, if it's better for his health then keep him out for the rest of the year and 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 let him come back in the beginning of next year. Uh, there's no reason to rush him back no matter where the Ducks are or where they're in a playoff spot
1: yeah rushing him back at this point uh, there's there's so much downside and very very little upside to doing that um like I said, I mean, trying to jump it, I think like it was projected like March or sometime, and yeah. the the season ends in like April I mean you're going to have a guy who's missed the entire uh, what that eighty eighty five percent of the entire season. oh, jump him in now, see how he does after coming up a surgery. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to do, anyways. But you know, if he's if he's good enough to play and he looks close enough to 100, uh, you know, give him give him the shot if he if he wants to. But you, yeah, it's a guy you got to keep an eye on at this point.
2: Yep. Yeah, uh, but that pretty much wraps it up for this show. Uh, we will be back on Sunday in some capacity. We will be having a show <laughs> yes. uh, for the game. I won't against- be there.
1: I have a hockey game, but Pat Pat will yeah. be back.
2: So it'll be for the game against New Jersey, which is a 5 p.m. Pacific start, which is a ran- very random 8 p.m. start for me um, on a Sunday. The Sunday games are always weird times, uh, yeah, but we already well, mentioned well, yeah. yeah, it will be uh, an interesting matchup with the former players on each team. Real uh, quick
1: though, did you just look up that schedule on like a little pocket thing from? The yeah,
2: press? I got the pocket it, schedule from. Uh, I took it. From you the tried to like slyly
1: put it on there, man, but I could totally see you
2: looking at it. Oh, I bring it out every time. I got to check. Oh, do you? Oh, where'd well, you get that? Did I, you get that
1: at FanFest,
2: Yeah, no, I got it from the from the game Korea, from the Korea, Korea game. game. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> it, what's worse, bringing this up and having this up, or messing up the who they're playing and then getting grilled for it later? Uh, both, getting... They
1: both suck. And and yeah. quite honestly, almost got away with it until I pulled it out. So I'm kind of a dick. Sorry.
2: It's all right. It's all right. So <laughs> New Jersey Sunday, Dallas yeah. Wednesday, and then the Ducks go on a five game road trip, six game road trip. Sorry. That takes some past Christmas. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but like, a, like we said, we'll be back for Sunday. If you haven't, if you're listening to this on Spreaker or iTunes or wherever right now, if you haven't checked out YouTube, head over there, subscribe. If you're listening to this and it is still December 8th or 9th, (laughs) uh, head over to YouTube and subscribe because we are doing a giveaway for a signed uh, puck. Actually,
1: it's December 7th still.
2: Well, for you, it's December 7th.
1: Yeah.
2: But we are are giving away a signed puck to our YouTube subscribers. It's signed by Ryan Miller, Nick (sighs) Ritchie, and Sam Steele. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you haven't done that, Get in that as quick as possible. We're going to be drawing that within the next couple of days. And if you if you're too late, and you're listening to this way later down the road. <laughs> still, still go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it, it, we're posting a lot of videos down there now, not just the post game shows. We we post a lot of interviews up there. We're posting some new reaction videos. We did that for the trade uh, for Marcus Pedersen and Daniel Sprong. So we're doing a lot over there. So make sure you go subscribe. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We do the Forever Mighty Three Stars on Twitter, which is a free chance for you to win a jersey from Cool Hockey. So if you're not getting involved in that, again, that's something that we do 45 minutes before puck drop every night. Yeah. And all you got to do is make three predictions about the game. You're going to be watching it anyway. So yeah. might as well make some predictions about it. It's oh, no. not like, right. yeah. If all you right, like you gotta, games, you this, ch- is, this is free. And you just got to make some (laughs) predictions. I'm sure a lot of you do the Ducks first goal predictions. This is the same thing, but you got a chance to win a jersey, and I'm sure you have a better chance of winning this than you do winning theirs. (laughs) Yeah,
1: the other thing too is it's just like you guess three times, and then at that point it's pretty much uh, you have – so you get like an opportunity for like three, maybe four points at every game, and there's like 15 games or whatever in a month. And so there's a the potential for all that, but the winners usually like have 12 points or like 14 yeah. points at the end. So you don't have to be awesome at it; you just have to get enough right to win.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So make sure you guys check that out. Hit us up on iTunes, and uh, we'll be back on Sunday for New Jersey with uh, me and Pat. So have a good night, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks for ruining my show, by the way. That's it. I'm sorry you guys had to sit through that, but. This is an obligation, contract obligation, they told me, so um, my kneecaps are sweating and I really got to go to the bathroom, so um, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Thank you. Bye.